What up, family? Welcome to episode 130 of The Genius Life. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of The Genius Life. I'm your host, Max Lugavere, a filmmaker, health and science journalist, and the author of the New York Times bestselling book, Genius Foods and The Genius Life. I'm super excited for this episode of the show in which I interview Dr. Nathan Bryan. Dr. Bryan is one of the world's preeminent experts on nitric oxide, which is a very important gas that we create in our blood vessels um, and is also created by bacteria in our mouths when we masticate or chew. And it provides a, it plays a number of important roles in the body. It is a crucial part of the conversation when discussing cardiovascular health, when discussing brain health, when discussing sexual health and sexual performance in the bedroom, y'all. Um, so over the course of the next hour, this is going to be a mind-blowing conversation. You're going to discover what nitric oxide is and why it's so important, how we make nitric oxide in our bodies, why certain people and populations simply aren't making enough of it. And I guarantee you, you're not going to think about mouthwash or toothpaste the same way again after listening to this, what the health consequences are of insufficient nitric oxide production, and how we can all restore nitric oxide production, uh, or at the very least prevent its decline. I got to tell you before we get Roland, uh, this is one of my favorite topics lately. I'm kind of obsessed. I've become kind of obsessed with nitric oxide. And so uh, I hope you enjoy listening to this episode as much as I enjoyed uh, hosting it. This episode is sponsored by Paleo Valley. Paleo Valley make some of the best tasting beef sticks I've ever had in my entire life. When I'm craving a high protein, super satiating, super nourishing snack on the go, I am reaching for Paleo Valley beef sticks, which come in a number of super delicious flavors. My personal favorites right now, although I reserve the right to to change by the next episode. Um, I love their teriyaki, which is gluten free. Um, as well as their original flavor, but they also make summer sausage varieties. They make a, a garlicky flavored beef stick. Um, they're so good. I keep my house stocked with them at all times and I throw them in my bag when I'm spending the day out of my house and I know that I'm going to want some kind of high protein snack to hold me over. They just nailed the flavor. They nailed the texture and I couldn't be more psyched to have them sponsor the podcast because I only allow brands to sponsor the podcast that I genuinely um, use and enjoy. So if you'd like to try anything that Paleo Valley makes, um, which I recommend you do, head over to paleovalley.com slash max and you'll get to save 15% off. Paleovalley.com slash max. Save 15% off. And uh yeah, don't say I didn't tell you they were great. Just before recording this intro, I had a cup of Four Sigmatic Lion's Mane Infused Coffee. Four Sigmatic is yet another sponsor of uh this episode of the show. And Four Sigmatic, they really painstakingly harvest some of the finest medicinal mushrooms that the world has to offer. In fact, I recently watched a documentary um, on medicinal, well, mushrooms in general called Fantastic Fungi that I highly recommend you guys check out, uh, which will give you a taste, no pun intended, of all of the different uh, benefits that mushrooms um, and the fungi kingdom in general have to offer. But needless to say, Four Sigmatic makes, uh, it's one of my favorite manufacturers of medicinal mushrooms. I'm a huge fan of their elixirs. I buy their uh, reishi and their lion's mane elixirs um, regularly. And then when I'm craving some caffeine, I will use their lion's mane infused coffee, which contains organic 
freeze-dried coffee, and of course that lion's mane mushroom, which according to some studies may have a cognition boosting effect in its own right. If you'd like to check out anything that Four Sigmatic has to offer, go to foursigmatic.com max or use promo code max and you'll get to save 10% off of your order. That's foursigmatic.com max or use promo code max and you'll get a whopping 10% off of your order. All right, guys, we're about to dive in. Before we do, please take a moment to leave a rating and review for the show on iTunes. I would very much appreciate that. Like this review from Growing Sustainable Wellness. She wrote, amazing podcast. I've listened to every episode and always look forward to the next one. I love your inspirational and positive encouragement, balanced perspective, and open-mindedness as you learn and share your knowledge. I love the variety and the practical, applicable nature of your work. I admire your growth mindset and exploration of a number of topics. I learn something in every podcast episode and keep an ongoing list of notes to remember the key takeaways. I look forward to continuing to follow your work and listen to every podcast. Thank you for creating this genius community, Rachel. Well, Rachel, Thank you so much for taking time out of your day to uh, leave such a thorough review for the show. I can't tell you how much I appreciate that. I think I even posted your review on my Instagram stories. It really means a lot to me that um, you are there uh, at the receiving end of all of this effort to really bring you the best health and wellness information out there. Um, that's what I strive to do. And if there's anything that I could be doing better, um, anything that you'd like to see more of, anything that you'd like to see less of, let me know by leaving a, a review on iTunes. I read them all and um, just, uh, you know, just curious to know how you're feeling. Just checking in, you know, you guys. Join my newsletter at maxlugavir.com. In doing so, you're going to get a free PDF download of 12 supplements that you can use to potentially boost your brain function uh, immediately upon signing up. You can opt out at any time. I don't give your information to anybody else. I swear to you. Um, join my text message community by texting the word genius to 310-299-9401. I've got some really exciting stuff coming up. I cannot wait to, uh, share with you guys. So make sure you're on the newsletter and the text message community. You're going to hear it first, um, there and yeah, now without further ado, here's Dr. Nathan Bryan as we, uh, do a deep dive together into all things nitric oxide. Enjoy. Dr. Nathan Bryan, thanks so much for being with me on The Genius Life. Thanks, Max. Pleasure to be here. Where where in the world are you these days? Well, today, at this moment, I'm in Las Vegas, uh, attending a oh, regenerative medicine conference tomorrow. This is uh, Things are slowly starting to open back up, and so this is our first medical conference since, I guess, February. Wow. Yeah, I was actually in Vegas recently. Everything is starting to open up. It's pretty cool. Um, although I, I heard that they are seeing a bit of a resurgence in terms of COVID-19 cases. So just, you know, be careful, I guess. Um, I'm excited to talk to you because you've been studying nitric oxide for, I guess, the entirety of your career. Is that is that correct? That's, um, yeah, that's pretty much the last 20 years of my life. That's what I've done, uh, both as a student and as a postdoctoral fellow. And then, uh, yeah, 20 years of my own um, research lab at University of Texas and now Baylor College of Medicine. That is amazing. Well, yeah, I mean, I would love to hear about your background and um, and what led to you picking nitric oxide as the thing that you wanted to really um, focus your your academic efforts on. Yeah, so I got you know I went to University of Texas uh, as an undergrad, got a degree in biochemistry, and then went on to LSU School of Medicine, um, where I studied under. Um, Martin Felish, who was a pharmacologist who had been involved in some early nitric oxide research back in the really early 80s or late 80s, early 90s. 
Uh, and so that turned me on to this, and it was it was exciting because the Nobel Prize had just been awarded for the discovery of nitric oxide, and that was in 1998. So we knew that this molecule was extremely important, but at that time, no one knew how to detect nitric oxide. No one knew really how the body made nitric oxide, and certainly no one knew how to restore the production of this molecule in the human body. But it was recognized that if you could figure this out, then you could really make a you know lasting legacy and impact on mankind and really the treatment and prevention of human disease. So cool. So for, I mean, listeners that are just hearing these two words for the first time, what is nitric oxide? Well, it's a molecule produced in the lining of the blood vessels. Uh, It's what we call a cell signaling molecule. So it's naturally produced. It's how cells in the body communicate with one another. The best example is that the endothelial cells, the cells that line all the blood vessels in the body, release nitric oxide, and then it communicates to the cells, the smooth muscle surrounding the blood vessels, and it tells these smooth muscles to relax. And so you get blood vessel dilation, you get an increase in blood flow, and it's this very simple action that regulates blood flow to every tissue and every cell in the body. And so you need that regulation. So for instance, if we're about to try to remember where we placed our keys, we have to increase blood flow to certain regions of the brain in order to recall memory. If we're about to run a marathon or, you know, we've got to increase blood flow to the skeletal muscles and to the heart. If we're about to perform sexually, we've got to increase blood flow to the sex organs. And so that is all dependent upon nitric oxide. And if you can't, if your body can't make nitric oxide, then you cannot regulate blood flow. And that's really the basis of every single chronic human degenerative disease from Alzheimer's, erectile dysfunction, heart disease, diabetes, kidney disease, liver disease, you name it nitric oxide insufficiency plays a role in that disease process. That is incredible. So, I mean, it really is this all-encompassing, super, I mean, seemingly omnipotent molecule. Um, How do we, I mean, so so how do we optimize for nitric oxide production, if that's even a thing? Well, you know, that's that's a question I've been asking experimentally for the past 20 years, because you can't fix these underlying issues if you don't know how the body normally produces it. And so now it's recognized there are two pathways that the body makes nitric oxide. So the first pathway, and this is the one to be discovered back in the late 80s, was through an enzyme called nitric oxide synthase, and it converts arginine to nitric oxide. So that's what everybody really appreciates, and there are a number of so-called nitric oxide products on the market since the late 90s that contain L-arginine and L-citrulline. But it's really that pathway that fails in people that come nitric oxide deficient. So that's one pathway. And then two is through a dietary pathway. And this was just realized probably about 15 years ago that a plant-based diet, uh, a Mediterranean diet, a vegetarian diet is really, it's known to be cardioprotective for many, many years, probably decades. But no one knows why a plant-based diet is cardioprotective. Well, now we understand that there's inorganic nitrate that's found in primarily green leafy vegetables and beets that when you consume these foods, the body then has the chance to metabolize nitrate into nitrite and then to nitric oxide. So then we can optimize our nitric oxide production pathway through diet, which is very important because that's the basis of modern medicine. Let food be thy medicine and medicine be thy food, as quoted by Hippocrates. So that's kind of the simplicity of it. So if we restore the function of the enzyme in the lining of the blood vessels and we eat a decent, well-balanced diet that includes some vegetables, then theoretically, and that's a very important 
uh, qualification, your body's able to, to maintain normal nitric oxide production. But here's where we as humans get in our own way. So number one, you need the right oral bacteria to, to maintain nitric oxide production through the diet. And there are over 200 million Americans who wake up every single morning and use a mouthwash. So oh, wow. it kills the bad bacteria, but it also kills the good bacteria. Now there's evidence showing that if you use mouthwash, it causes an increase in blood pressure, which is the number one risk factor for the number one killer of men and women worldwide, which is heart disease. And then number two, we need stomach acid to make nitric oxide. Another 200 million Americans use antacids, proton pump inhibitors, Prevacid, Prilosec, Nexium. These are very bad medications because they shut down stomach acid production they inhibit nitric oxide production. And now there's evidence showing that people who have been on antacids for three to five years have about a three-time higher incidence of heart attack and stroke. So that, that's really the underlying problem with the health of many Americans. And then two, exercise stimulates the enzyme that makes nitric oxide from arginine. So if you really want to do, it's not rocket science what we're doing here. It's been very complex to figure out how the body produces nitric oxide. But when we get back to the basics, it's moderate physical exercise, a balanced diet, everything in moderation, and just stop using mouthwash, stop using antacids, and and exercise. And if you do that, there's sufficient clinical evidence to demonstrate that you can improve your nitric oxide status, you can lower your blood pressure, you can reverse diabetes, and you can have optimized performance. And that's either performance on the, in the athletic field, performance in the bedroom, performance in the boardroom, whether you're leading a big company or leading an organization of people. I love this. Um, I mean, this is so fascinating. So walk me through what happens then when you eat a, uh, a big salad, for example, packed with arugula, which is, I think, you know, calorie for calorie, one of the top sources of, of, of nitrate in the diet and beets. Like what, you, you know, load your fork up, you put it in your mouth, how does that then become the nitric oxide that we produce in our blood vessels? That's yeah, a very good place to start. <clears throat> so when we eat an arugula salad or spinach with a little uh, beets or whatever, 90 minutes after uh, we consume that, then we start to generate nitric oxide. And it takes 90 minutes because when we put that fork of vegetables in our mouth and we masticate, we chew it up, and you want to spend you know, 20, 30 seconds of chewing that because it breaks down that fibrous, releases these water-soluble molecules, nitrite, nitrate, into the saliva. And then when we swallow our saliva, it spends about 20 to 30 minutes into the stomach, the food you swallow, you have gastric emptying, and then it goes into the proximal part of the small intestines, which is called the duodenum. And it's in that part of the gut that nitrate is act actively taken up. And so they're nitrate is actively taken up from the lumen of the gut and circulated to our salivary glands. And so then each time we salivate from there on out, we get this burst of nitrate in our saliva. And then there are nitrate-reducing bacteria that live on the dorsal part of the tongue, the back part of the tongue, that reduce nitrate to, nitric ox to nitride and to nitric oxide. And this is very important because humans don't have the capacity to do this. This pathway is 100% dependent upon the oral bacteria. So then, okay, so 90 minutes after you consume that uh, vegetable, you'll start to see that saliva, salivary nitrite increases. We've developed some salivary test strips that can demonstrate this. And then each time you swallow your saliva, for the next several hours, you're getting a burst of nitric oxide gas. 
in the lumen of the stomach, provided that the stomach is acidic in nature. So you can disrupt this benefits of, of eating a good diet if you use a mouthwash and if you're using an antacid. So you completely eliminate those nitric oxide benefits of diet and vegetables if you're using mouthwash and you're using antacids. And m- over half of Americans use either one or both of those. So no wonder we're a sick society. Yeah. I mean, I remember reading reading research that linked uh, chronic mouthwash use to an increased risk for, I believe it was type 2 diabetes, like a pretty significant increase in risk. Yeah. I mean, you need nitric oxide for insulin signaling. So in diabetes, you basically have insulin resistance in type 2 diabetes. So if you don't, if you can't make nitric oxide, you don't finish out the insulin signaling pathway and you get insulin-resistant type 2 diabetes. If you restore nitric oxide function, um, then insulin signaling proceeds uninterrupted and you can clear glucose from the circulation and you can treat and overcome diabetes. But again, to your point, if you're using mouthwash, you're shutting down nitric oxide production at least through one of the pathways. And uh, if you become completely nitric oxide deficient, you become insulin-resistant and develop type 2 diabetes. So this might be a, a bit of a tangential um, question, but for people who in the past maybe have relied on uh, antiseptic mouthwashes, do you know of any way to repopulate the oral microbiome with uh, nitric oxide or nitrite-producing bacteria? Yeah, so that's a very good question. And the short answer is no, we don't. Um, other than we've, we've published studies showing that these communities are pretty resilient in the fact, and, and we've published studies showing that if you stop using an antiseptic mouthwash, within about four days, these communities have repopulated and the diversity begins to improve. So just simply stopping the use of mouthwash uh, will go a long way in restoring the good bacteria. The other thing we've published, and we did this in animals because it's difficult to control the diet and hygienic practices in humans, but if you just give more nitrate, so if you just consume more nitrate Um, enriched vegetables, that seems to give these bacteria the fuel they need to uh, repopulate, to uh, increase the diversity and basically give them a fuel to outcompete the bad bacteria. So it may be just as simple as stop using mouthwash, you can't use fluoride toothpaste because fluoride's an antiseptic, and just consume more nitrate green leafy vegetables. It may be that simple. I didn't realize that fluoride was an antiseptic. I mean, that's that's fascinating. So you would say it's probably smart to minimize your usage of fluoride containing toothpaste as well? Yeah, fluoride is a neurotoxin. Uh, it's a very dangerous chemical. It's found in municipal water supplies. If you look on the back of your toothpaste, it'll say contact the poison control center if you swallow uh, toothpaste because it contains fluoride. Um, you know, these are practices that started decades ago. You know, we've learned so much more since then, but, you know, it's hard to get these practices out of society when it's just the way it's been done for so many years. But fluoride is very dangerous, should be avoided both in the water supply and certainly in your toothpaste. And I, I and my family use a fluoride-free toothpaste. That's very, very interesting. I use a, I've, I use a fluoride-free toothpaste as well, and I advocate, I've advocated for using fluoride-free toothpastes. Um, however, I was not aware that it had uh, antiseptic properties. So, I mean, this is just... Uh, yeah, super, super interesting. Um, you mentioned that one of the compounds that the oral bacteria create when we masticate or chew um, nitrate-consuming, con- nitrate-containing vegetables is nitrite. Um, I am only familiar with nitrite through its association with processed meat products. 
Um, so I'd love to know what, like, what is the difference then between, uh, like why are processed meats so, um, vilified and, and usually they're vilified because many of them contain sodium nitrite as a preservative. Do you see any real concern with this, uh, with this compound? No, I don't. Again, it goes back to uh, progress we've made over the past 50 years and, you know, what was once thought harmful and toxic 50, 60 years ago is not that anymore. And so, uh, you know, this all started back in the 1950s when it was discovered that uh, nitrite preserved fish, this was a 1956 study, that you could find this compound called N-nitrosyl dimethylamine, uh, which is a nitrosamine, and these are carcinogenic agents. So then in 19, I think the 1970s, the Code of Federal Regulations by the U.S. government informed the meat industry that if you're adding sodium nitride to any cured or processed meat product, that you have to add a bit of vitamin C, or now they're using erythrobate, and that prevents any nitrosative chemistry. So you need, sodium nitride is absolutely necessary, fundamental, and required for food safety. Because in these ready-to-eat foods, such as lunch meat and hot dogs and um, Lunchables, things like that, if you don't add nitrite to it, people there would be an epidemic of foodborne illness from listeria to botulism. And so nitrite's the only thing that effectively kills these. And it preserves the meat. It prevents lipid oxidation. It prevents food spoilage. Uh, and so it's absolutely essential for food safety. It just so happens that it happens to be one of the most important cardiovascular protective molecules known. So I think this whole notion of nitrite-cured meats being uh, negative and harmful, you know, lost its favor 20 or 30 years ago when nitric oxide was discovered. In fact, uh, some of the main epidemiologists who've really started this story 20, 30, 40 years ago have even conceded that cured and processed meats may or may not have some relative risk index of developing certain cancers. So whatever that is, the mechanism is not due to the nitrite content in the nitrosamine. It may be due to heterocyclic amines or the fat content and the heme iron and things like that. But the consensus now is that any increased risk of any disease due to cured and processed meat is not due to the nitrite and nitrate content. In fact, there are meat companies out there now trying to fortify meats with nitrite nitrate because vegetable companies are doing it. Uh, there are dozens of companies out there selling nitrate-infused beet products or nitrite-fortified uh, veggies. So the meat companies can do the same thing, make a more healthy meat because it prevents not only lipid oxidation in the meat, but it prevents oxidation and inflammation in the human body when you consume these. So to me, it makes, makes perfect sense, but it's also very frustrating because we've been educating people on this for more than 20 years. And if you've got companies like Kraft and Oscar Mayer go out there and still marketing nitrite-free bacon and nitrite-free meats, they're missing the boat. They're subscribing to the, the way things were 50 years ago and aren't up on the literature and the health benefits of nitrite and nitrate that we've known now for greater than 15 years. That is fascinating. So you're suggesting that the sodium nitrite in these in these meat products not only isn't the potential carcinogen it's been sort of painted to be, but can actually have a, like a health boosting effect. Yeah. So the, the safety profile of sodium nitrite was, was 
really put to bed back in 2001 when the National Toxicology Program uh, published this multi-year study on the safety of, of sodium nitrite. And so this is the gold standard in toxicology. If there's a potentially toxic chemical in our food supply or in our environment, then the U.S. government puts this through the National Toxicology Program. And through this multi-year dose escalation study, it was found that there was no evidence whatsoever for carcinogenicity by sodium nitrite in male or female rats and mice. And in fact, it was it had cancer protective effects at some doses. That is super interesting. And so do they not, so is it that they don't actually, uh, they're, they're not as inclined to convert to these nitrosamines as was once thought, or that the nitrosamines themselves are less harmful than once thought? Well, there's two components there. You got to have the nitrite around, and then you've got to have a low molecular weight amine. And so those two components have to be together to form a nitrosamine, a low molecular weight nitrosamine that can cause cancer. So number, and then number two, the, the other third point is that vitamin C, a certain amount of vitamin C will completely inhibit this nitrosative chemistry. So number one, the first issue is there's really no low molecular weight amines naturally present in food supplies. So dimethylamine hmm. is not a naturally occurring um, compound in, in foods. Uh, it's a synthetic compound, but so it's not there to form a nitrosamine. And then two, most green leafy vegetables are replete in vitamin C and other antioxidants that complete, that inhibit nitrosative chemistry. And then since the 1970s, any food product that nitrite's been added to, by federal law, they have to add a certain amount of vitamin C or erythrobate to prevent that nitrosative chemistry. So there's no detectable nitrosamines found in the meat supply anymore or any in any food product for that matter. That is so interesting. Um, that's good to know because I'm a fan of, you know, the occasional uh, cold cut. Hey guys, I just want to share a clothing brand that I discovered recently that I am totally in love with. The brand is called Viore and I first discovered them because my friends at Mind Pump were huge fans of the brand. Viore makes incredibly attractive active wear that is versatile, comfortable, designed to look great in everyday life outside of the gym, but also perfect for any workout. And one article that they make in particular that they sent me are the men's banks short, which is, you guys, this is the coolest thing. They are made from recycled plastic bottles. It's just the dopest thing. So I feel really good about wearing them because I feel like I'm doing something good for the environment. Uh, but I can wear them to the gym and then I can spend the rest of the day in them, which is just, you know, badass. If you want to check out anything that Viore um, produces, uh, which I recommend that you do, they are offering an exclusive discount to Genius Life listeners, 20% off of your first purchase. All you got to do to get yourself some of the most comfortable and versatile clothing on the planet is go to vioriclothing.com slash max. Now listen, to spell Viore, it's V-U-O-R-I clothing dot com slash max and not only will you receive 20 percent off of your first purchase but you'll get to enjoy free shipping on any u.s order over 75 dollars and free return so again that's viori clothing v-u-o-r-i clothing.com slash max and discover the magical versatility of fiori clothing and now back to the interview so what are some other ways that we can boost nitric oxide i'm just so enamored with this molecule now uh you mentioned briefly arginine and citrulline what are those two compounds and what is their relevance to uh, boosting nitric oxide? 
yeah, so uh, as I mentioned before, so arginine and citrulline are both what we consider semi-essential amino acids, meaning that our body makes it uh, naturally through the urea cycle and some other metabolic pathways. But you also get these amino acids from the breakdown of protein, whether it's plant-based proteins or animal proteins. Proteins are made up of amino acids. And when, that, when protein is broken down into amino acids in the acid environment of the stomach, then we get arginine and citrulline. And so the enzyme that I mentioned earlier converts arginine into nitric oxide, and you get citrulline as a byproduct. But it's also very important to understand that people don't become deficient in nitric oxide because they have a deficiency of L-arginine. It's They've lost the ability to convert arginine to nitric oxide. So giving L-arginine or L-citrulline to a patient that has endothelial dysfunction, or meaning that the enzyme to convert arginine to nitric oxide is broken, it makes no sense biochemically. because It's like putting gas in a car with a blown-up engine. These people aren't out of fuel. Their engine's broken. So you're, you're not, it's not going to get you where you're going by taking more arginine and citrulline because unless you've got really a single urea cycle disorder called arginosuccinate, uh, arginosuccinic acid urea where you don't have the enzyme uh, to make citrulline f- from L-arginine, then you're not deficient in these uh, amino acids. So it makes no sense. And those products have been on the market for a number of years. Um, but it's also been shown clinically that if you take, if you give high-dose L-arginine to patients with endothelial dysfunction, you can actually make them worse. And this has been demonstrated mm. in people who have recently suffered a heart attack, post-infarct patients, and also in patients with peripheral artery disease. They actually get worse if you give them arginine. And that makes sense biochemically and mechanistically because if that enzyme is uncoupled, then if you push arginine through that pathway, it generates superoxide, which is a, an oxygen radical that forms a lot of oxidative stress and makes things worse. So then how do we boost nitric oxide synthase, which is the enzyme that converts? Uh, I mean, is there any meaningful way to boost nitric oxide synthase in our bodies? Yeah, there are a number of ways to do it. So number one, you can just moderate physical exercise stimulates and can overcome uh, endothelial dysfunction and uncoupled NOS. Um, biochemically, the rate-limiting step in, in NOS uncoupling is oxidation of a molecule called tetrahydrobopterin, or what we refer to it as BH4. So you can take, you know, there's some uh, supplements on the market. There's, you know, but again, nothing beats a kind of an anti-inflammatory uh, antioxidant diet to prevent the oxidation of BH4 to maintain NOS activity. And so again, it goes back, if, if you get up and move and do 20, 30 minutes of exercise a day, that stimulates your blood vessels and the enzyme to make nitric oxide. So you can actually increase your nitric oxide output. And then if you're eating an, an anti-inflammatory diet, then that'll prevent the oxidation, the oxidative stress that basically shuts down not just the NOS enzyme, but shuts down a lot of essential enzymes. So inflammation, especially like chronic low-grade inflammation, with many, which many people suffer from today, can actually shut down the production chain for nitric oxide, but, um, but exercise boosts it. Is there any particular type of exercise that is maybe better than uh, another in, in terms of boosting nitric oxide synthase? Yeah, there, there is a limit. So you need oxygen to make nitric oxide through the nitric oxide synthase pathway. And so if you're doing aerobic exercise and you're not, oxygen doesn't become limiting, then you have enough oxygen to where that pathway can still make nitric oxide. 
But when you reach that anaerobic threshold and oxygen becomes limiting, you no longer make nitric oxide through that pathway. And that's when you switch to an anaerobic uh, style of, of metabolism. You get lactic acid buildup, and that's where people hit the wall. The interesting thing in performance is that when, when NOS production of nitric oxide shuts down due to oxygen become limiting, if, you, if you've titrated up your nitrite nitrate levels prior to your sporting event or whatever you're trying to do, then that's where this <clears throat> kind of buffer system kicks in. And then you begin generating nitric oxide from nitrite in that low oxygen, low pH environment. You can extend the anaerobic threshold and you can prevent lactic acid buildup, improve recovery, and basically stimulate mitochondrial biogenesis. So you've got more mitochondria generating more energy with less oxygen. And that's how you optimize performance. So would, to put this in practical terms, would this, would this mean for people that you mentioned earlier that it takes about 90 minutes uh, for nitric oxide levels to peak after consuming a high nitrate meal. Um, so would this then imply that people might choose to consume a salad of arugula and beets 90 minutes before their exercise session to boost both exercise performance and the, their production of nitric oxide? Yeah, there's been a number of clinical studies showing that. Um, so if you, if you want to utilize vegetables and the nitrate naturally found in vegetables, and if your body has the mechanisms intact and in place to reduce nitrate to, to nitrite and to nitric oxide, then sure, you can use that to enhance performance. But the problem is most people don't have the right oral bacteria, and a lot of people don't have sufficient stomach acid production because they're either taking um, antacids or because they have achlorhydria for other reasons, an iron overload, hemochromatosis, uh, things like that. So there are, a number of, there are a number of disruptions in that pathway. Um, and so we've figured out how to overcome that pathway, uh, those limitations, pretty much in every single uh, population. So I have, I think, over two dozen issued U.S. international patents on nitric oxide technology. So we can we can overcome the the problems with uh, dysbiosis in the oral microbiome, and we can overcome the inability to generate nitric oxide from insufficient stomach acid production through these patented technologies. So, for instance, we make a beet product that you can take as little as ten minutes before uh, an exercise performance, and you can titrate up blood levels and improve performance so we don't have to wait 90 minutes and then hope your body uh, uh, produces these protective and performance-enhancing molecules. If your body can't do it, we do it for you. I remember reading somewhere um, that CoQ10, which is a, a molecule found in, uh, in, in meat, can actually help extend the life of nitric oxide uh, in the blood vessels. Is there any truth to that? Well, CoQ10 is a, is a mitochondrial uh, cofactor and so mitochondria are what generate cellular energy or ATP, and so CoQ10 can help kind of uh, recouple the mitochondrial electron transport chain. And so one of the main sources of superoxide, <clears throat> which scavenges nitric oxide, is through the mitochondrial electron transport chain. So if you take CoQ10 and you prevent the electron leakage through the mitochondrial electron transport chain, you can prevent superoxide production, and then you've got more nitric oxide available because you don't have superoxide scavenging it. So indirectly, CoQ10 can prolong nitric oxide bioactivity. So with that then, I mean, if you were going to eat a, you know, say you were really trying to like optimize your 
ni- the nitric oxide in your blood vessels. It was prior to an athletic event, or maybe it was prior to uh, a big date, you know, an important <laughs> um, um, date, and you were looking to really boost nitric oxide levels in your blood vessels. Um, maybe some uh, some organ meat, like some chicken heart or something, or beef heart, which is packed with CoQ10, and a big bowl of, uh, of nitrate-consuming vegetables. Seems like that would be a, a smart way to go. Am I, am I right? Well, I think it could be a viable option. Look, the, the human body is very complex. And so depending on what you're trying to get at, the metabolic demands on exercise performance are much different than the metabolic demands of someone just trying to maintain more energy and prevent disease prevention. So there are a number of nutrients that are missing in our food supply. Organ meats contain a lot of the micronutrients that are missing in vegetables grown in soil. Um, For instance, selenium, chromium, um, a lot of iron, a lot of CoQ10, those are missing in a lot of the vegetables we eat and even animal products that we eat because we're eating skeletal muscle and typically not organ meats. So I think you're going to provide benefit to that because you're repleting a lot of the micronutrients that are missing in most people. For example, 75% of Americans are deficient in magnesium. 90% 90% of Americans are deficient in iodine, and I think 70 to 80% are deficient in chromium. So all these are trace minerals and nutrients that we're just not getting from our food supply. A lot of it's because of the soil conditions, the farming conditions, uh, and just missing the repletion of the nutrients in the soil so the vegetables don't have any nutrients to, to take up, and then we take them up and we eat the vegetables. So I think that provides, organ meat provides a lot of those missing nutrients that will help the human in performance as well as just disease prevention. When it comes to living uh, optimally, um, do you, is there a recommendation for number of servings of nitrate consuming, uh, containing vegetables that you would recommend per day, or is it just generally a balanced diet and, and to, you know, consume a balanced diet and to fit these uh, vegetables in here and there where you can? Well, that's a very good question. In fact, we tried to answer that question about six or seven years ago uh, because we wanted to to know, can can we change the dietary guidelines? How much celery would you need to eat or how how many servings of broccoli would you need to eat? And so to answer this question, we went to five different cities across the U.S. We went to New York, Raleigh, Dallas, Chicago, and Los Angeles. And we bought, I think, five or six different vegetables off the shelf of the same retail grocer sent it back to the lab, and we basically quantified the amount of nitrate in those vegetables. And what we found was there's as much as a 50 to 60-fold difference in the nitrate content of celery bought in Dallas versus New York or Raleigh, and sometimes a 10-fold difference in the amount of nitrate found in celery uh, from Chicago to Los Angeles to Raleigh. So what that told us is there's no way in hell we could ever make dietary recommendations because it depends on where you live and where you're buying your vegetables because there are regional differences in farming practices and regional differences in the nitrate and soil. And so every vegetable is different. In fact, not only is every vegetable different, the intervariable difference between broccoli across five different cities is 50 to 60 fold. And that's in conventionally grown vegetables. Most people are on this organic fix And we found, and we published this in 2014 or 15, I think, but organically grown vegetables have 10 times less nitrate on average than conventionally grown vegetables. 
So I don't think you can eat enough organic vegetables. Even if you're straight vegan vegetarian, you cannot eat enough organically grown vegetables to get enough nitrate to get a benefit. I mean, that's kind of mind blowing. Um, Advocates of the consumption of organic produce would say, you know, you want to consume organic because it reduces your exposure to synthetic herbicides and pesticides. Um, And that organic produce may have higher levels of certain phytochemicals, you know, plant defense compounds like polyphenols and things like that. But this is super interesting. So, So you've found that organic produce actually has a far lower concentration of nitrate. Is that correct? Yeah, I would agree. Look, there are benefits of organics in the in the fact that you're not getting exposed to the glyphosates and herbicides and, and other chemicals that are on some some traditionally conventionally grown vegetables. But again, to me it's a balance. You can't I mean, people seem to be extreme these days, especially <laughs> during these times. But you can't you, and the other thing too is what people don't understand, what consumers don't understand about this whole field of agronomy is you need nitrogen in the soil to assimilate other nutrients, micronutrients in these vegetables. So if the soil is deficient in nitrogen-based fertilizers to which you can't add to organically grown vegetables, then, or, and I think we haven't tested this, but based on the, the science, if vegetables are deficient in nitrate, they're also going to be more deficient in a lot of other essential nutrients, vitamin A, vitamin C, vitamin E, magnesium, because you need nitrogen to assimilate these nutrients from the soil into the plant leaves that we eat. So if they're deficient in nitrate, they're probably going to be deficient in a lot of the other nutrients. And I think, again, I think people have good intents and reasons for eating organic, but the data don't lie from the inhane study that Americans are deficient in most major micronutrients. And we're not getting it from our food. And why is that? I think the answer lies in the whole field of agronomy. And we have to, I agree, I try to avoid uh, pesticides and herbicides and, and things like that. But at the same time, we've got to improve our farming techniques to where the vegetables that we consume and grow and eat are replete with the nutrients that we need as humans to survive and thrive. So personally, when you're shopping, do you preferentially buy conventionally grown produce or do you buy organic or is it uh does it um does your decision making process uh depend on the actual item that you're purchasing well max i'm probably a little bit of an anomaly because i live on hundreds of acres out in the middle of nowhere in texas and we grow our own meat and grow our own vegetables Uh, so we don't spend much time in in the supermarket but when we do um you know, we go by looks. I mean, we're we're not specifically looking for an organic label. And most of the small communities that I live in, they have a farmer's market. So I know the local growers. Um, and so the foods we eat are, are really locally grown. And I know exactly where my food comes from. People who live in cities and, and uh, you know, urban areas aren't afforded that luxury because they're going to major retail outlets and they don't know where they get their food. I know where my food comes from when I eat at home. <laughs> yeah. Uh, we don't have that much time left, but um, going back to supplements, I mean, we've kind of touched on supplements uh, a little bit, but you know, you see on the market, there's all kinds of nitric oxide boosting supplement offerings. Um, what are, I mean, are any of them worth the money or are they all generally uh, basically like adding fuel into the car with the broken engine from, for most people? 
to use your analogy. Well, let me let me preface this answer with I have an extreme bias in this field, and I have a conflict because I have, as I mentioned, over two dozen issued U.S. international patents, and I have products on the market. Uh, I've developed supplements and nutritionals and skincare products that overcomes a lot of these limitations. And I'm not going to mention them by brand because it's not it's not my goal here. But I will tell you because I have all these patents that I'm obligated to test any nitric oxide product that's been on the market or that comes on the market to see, number one, if it's infringing on any of my patents. And then number two, does it actually do what the label says? Does it improve nitric oxide? And I can tell you I've tested hundreds of products over the past 15 to 20 years and 95 to 99% of them do not work. They don't do. They don't generate nitric oxide. They don't stimulate nitric oxide production. A lot of the beet products out there on the market today, you can go to Whole Foods and buy a canister of beets for $10 or $12. And all it's going to do is turn your urine and your feces pink and red. It has no biological activity whatsoever. There's no detectable nitrate in it. There's no detectable nitrite. It does nothing to stimulate nitric oxide production. But people, I think, with good intentions want to get good nutrition for a value, so they buy the uh, the whole food uh, beet product for 10 bucks, but yet they're getting no nutritional value out of it. And now there's dozens of companies putting beetroot in their products and call it a nitric oxide product, and it does nothing. And that's what's frustrating to me because I spent almost 20, over 20 years studying nitric oxide, trying to understand how it's produced in the body, what goes wrong in people that can't produce it, and how do we fix that? And so we, we've solved a lot of these problems and have product technology on the market that can do that. But the problem in the nutrition and supplement world is everybody can say the same thing. So how do you know? How do, how do you inform consumers? And that's why I appreciate the opportunity to come on you because I think consumers need to be informed and educated. And so the thing I tell people is look for patents. Look for, if you're, gonna, if you're searching for a nitric oxide product, look for a patent number on the back because that tells you that this product has done something different, innovative, that no one else has been able to do or that no one else can re replicate because there's issued patents on it. Number two, look for published clinical trials. If a product generates nitric oxide, nitric oxide is so potent in the human body that they, they should be able to show a clinical benefit. So look for, ask the manufacturer, do you have any published clinical trials in humans on this product? If they don't, then it probably doesn't work because if a product works, a company is gonna spend the time and the effort to put it through randomized controlled clinical trials and show the benefit. Number three, uh, who's who's making this? What company? Who's the formulator? Have they ever published in the nitric oxide field? If they haven't, this is probably one of the most complicated areas of science and medicine over the past hundred years. So not just any company can come up with a viable nitric oxide solution. In fact, I've consulted with most of the big pharma companies over the past 20 years. Big pharma's failed at making a safe and nitric oxide, safe and effective nitric oxide drug. So it's humorous to think that some supplement company or some guy off the street can put together some amino acids and some beet product and call it a nitric oxide product and it actually work. That's why 95% of these products do not work and consumers should really just save their money. And I think it goes back to the basics. I'm, I, I try to be very simplistic in nature. So you got to stop what's, stop what's inhibiting your own body's ability to make nitric oxide. Our body's much smarter than we are. So you've got to eat more green leafy vegetables, try to get nitrate in them, but it's difficult. They're, they're not on the label. 
Stop using antiseptic mouthwash. Stop using an acid and get moderate physical exercise. That's the simplest solution there is. But if you can't do that, if you're on medications for whatever reasons, then there is product. You have confidence that there is product technology out there on the market that can overcome all these limitations um, from the discoveries we've made over the past 20 years. Such good advice. Uh, Isn't there some uh, evidence admittedly limited, but um, some suggestive evidence that uh, like taking citrulline um, can can help uh, alleviate symptoms of uh, erectile dysfunction, though, via the nitric oxide pathway? Well, no, not in placebo-controlled clinical trials. You know, there, there is, there is mm-hmm. such a thing as a placebo effect. And biochemically, it cannot happen because erectile dysfunction is loss of the ability to generate nitric oxide. So whether it's in men or women, to get an erection, there has to be an increase in blood flow. To get an increase in blood flow, there has to be nitric oxide produced to dilate the blood vessels. And typically that nitric oxide comes from the nitric oxide synthase enzyme. But in patients with erectile dysfunction, they have what's called endothelial dysfunction, another type of ED. So endothelial dysfunction leads to erectile dysfunction. And by definition, that enzyme is unable to convert arginine to nitric oxide. And citrulline is a byproduct. That enzyme doesn't use citrulline. Citrulline, through the urea cycle, is converted back to arginine, then is arginine. So citrulline has no uh, direct effect in nitric oxide production. It's a byproduct of nitric oxide that's then recirculated to arginine, to make nitric oxide, to make more nitric oxide and you get citrulline as a byproduct. So citrulline has never made any sense to me in terms of, other than, you know, if you have a functional urea cycle, you can actually uh, generate L-arginine in the, in the proximity of the nitric oxide synthase enzyme uh, to get it through that pathway to make nitric oxide. But to my knowledge, there's never been a placebo-controlled study using arginine or citrulline in erectile dysfunction showing an effect. If there is a published effect, it's a placebo effect. And there are, there are, but I will tell you, there are some published studies showing some improvements in nitric oxide production using arginine-based products. The caveat is it's in healthy, healthy individuals, people with normal endothelial dysfunction. So you can give arginine to a healthy person and get a little bit of nitric oxide output. Is it enough to, to have an effect, a real effect? Uh, I don't think so. Um, but in older patients with endothelial dysfunction, L-arginine by definition cannot and will not work. How does Viagra work from thirty thousand feet? Is it through the is it through the nitrate is it through the enzyme production? Yeah, so so Viagra works. So once nitric oxide is produced, as I started out this this conversation, it diffuses into this underlying smooth muscle and activates an enzyme called guanylocyclase, and then that enzyme can, uh, creates a molecule called uh, cyclic GMP. And then there's an enzyme called a phosphodiesterase that degrades cyclic GMP. So drugs like Viagra are called phosphodiesterase inhibitors. So they prevent the breakdown of the second messenger that nitric oxide produces. So here's kind of the the take-home message here. 50% of the men that are prescribed Viagra do not get a response. They don't see an improvement in their erectile function. The reason for that is is they cannot make even a little bit of nitric oxide to activate that signaling cascade to where it gives these drugs a target to work on. So erectile dysfunction is not a disease of overactive phosphodesterase activity. 
it's a disease of insufficient nitric oxide production. So you want to you want to take non-responders to Viagra. So if you're if you take Viagra and it doesn't work for you, increase your nitric oxide levels. The PD5 inhibitors will then become effective. And actually, if you have a, a smart physician that prescribes these, they can actually titrate down the dose because you'll get better effects without the side effects. That's how medicine's supposed to work, is you give your body what it needs, let your body heal itself, you titrate medicine to uh, accommodate what the body naturally does. I love that. Um, other than exercise, are there any other ways that you know of to boost nitric oxide synthase to, to be able to create more nitric oxide in our blood vessels? Well, I think any, 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 any antioxidant is going to be good at preventing the oxidation of BH4 and maintaining NOS function. Uh, so exercise, I take a, you know, a handful of supplements every day because I'm on the go all the time, I'm typically under a lot of stress, high energy. And so we burn through our antioxidant defense system. And so I think it's important to take um, a handful of antioxidants to prevent that. That's smart. That makes a lot of sense. Um, well, we're almost out of time. Is there anything uh, else that, you know, are there any other topics that you'd like to touch on before we go that we haven't yet covered? I mean, your work is so interesting. Thank you for your for your work. I mean, I, I've learned a lot. I'm sure my listeners have learned a lot. Um, but we do have some time left if, you know, there's, a, there's an area of your research that we haven't touched on that you'd like to bring you'd like to, uh, you know, bring to the genius life table as it were. Well, you know, I created an educational website just to inform people about nitric oxide and it's, it's Dr. Nathan S. Bryan.com. That's D-R Nathan S is in Scott, Brian, B-R-Y-A-N.com. Uh, and it's really, I do a monthly blog. I encourage people. I try to make it practical and, and, and timely. You know, the last couple of months, it's been on COVID and the role of nitric oxide in coronavirus uh, susceptibility and severity of disease, which is a probably a topic for a complete other show. But people get sick from COVID because they're lacking nitric oxide. If you replete nitric oxide in your patients, they may be exposed to COVID, but they don't get sick, they don't get hospitalized, they don't need a ventilator, and they certainly don't die. Uh, it's a very important concept that we're trying to move forward. Um, but I think, and there's a six-minute video on that that website that really tells you in six minutes what we've spent the past 45 minutes uh, trying to educate and inform. So I just direct everybody there and, you know, I just encourage people to do your own research, um, get the information, the science matters, um, don't get fooled by creative marketing, uh, rely on the science. Is there any effect of fasting on nitric oxide production in the body? You know, the not that I'm acutely aware of. I think fasting does some uh, some fascinating things in the body, and it allows for a complete adaptation uh, to a you know caloric restriction that are beneficial. I think part of the benefits of that can be traced back to nitric oxide, but a direct effect of fasting on nitric oxide, I'm not aware uh, of any. Very interesting. Food for thought. Um, well, how can so you've uh, told listeners about your website? Are you on social media? I am. I have a personal Facebook um, page. People can follow me. It's just Dr. Nathan Bryan. I have a, uh, a Twitter account. It's Dr. Nitric, at Dr. Nitric, N-I-T-R-I-C. Um, yeah, so those are my personal uh, social media sites. I have a number of um, company media sites, but I'm not here to promote company or products. I think it's most important just to focus on the education aspects. Love that. Well, uh, Dr. Bryan, the last question that gets asked to everybody who comes on the show uh, it's a bit more of a philosophical question. Take it wherever you'd like. What does it mean to you to live a genius life? 
Well, my, my guiding principle for the past 20 years in, in research has been to see what everyone else has seen, but to think what no one else has thought. Uh, and I think you can apply that to any career or any industry. I think, you know, there's when I got involved in the nitric oxide field, there were probably 80,000 papers, well, probably 40 or 50,000 scientific papers on nitric oxide. Today, there are over 175,000 publications on nitric oxide. So I've seen what everybody else has seen, but I think what set me apart and allowed us to make a lot of discoveries and do things that other people haven't been able to do is because we've thought a little bit differently. Um, and so to me, I think, you know, sophistication and genius is in simplicity. And we've tried to keep it simple, um, scientific, and based on facts. And so I think that's been my guiding principle, and it hadn't led me astray so far. I love that. Couldn't have said it better myself. Um, well, thank you for your for your knowledge and your insight. This was super interesting. I mean, uh, you know, I think some of the take-home messages that resonated with me, uh, chew your food slowly. What did you say? 30 to 60 seconds per mouthful? It was something like that, right? Yeah, people say you need to chew chew 20, 20 times. I try to keep food in my mouth for, you know, 20 or 30 seconds to get good digestion, good mastication, and to allow, you know, these bacteria that live in on our body are there to do things that we as humans can't do. And so you got to give them time to act and to, to do their job. Love that. Chew your food slowly. You know, ditch the antiseptic mouthwashes. Don't take stomach acid blocking medications. Exercise. Consume an anti-inflammatory diet. Avoid the fluoride in your toothpaste. So much good stuff. Again, Dr. Brian, thank you for being here. And to all you guys out there in podcast land, thank you for your time and attention. Share this episode of the show with people that you care about. Text me at 310-299-9401 to let me know what you thought or if you have any follow-up questions and I will catch you on the next episode. Peace, guys.